My guest today is an inspiring beacon of British gentlemanly presence. He has a better beard than me and blonde hair. Is Chapman in one of my all-time favourite pre-Europa nominated podcasts with Nova Kate's winner of Outstanding Contribution for Vault's first Mac wearer in History Bombs, creator of Crowley Time Podcast. Do you know who he is yet? He also created Mass in Theatres and all-around Super Chap in the Royals. Improviser, writer, director, producer, funny, hilarious, affable, brilliantly talented Chap. Let's crown him audio dramas, night of the podcast realm, the rise of Tom Crowley, hello. Hello, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm glad you got the copy I sent you. That was really good. Thank you. For, you read that really well. Thank you. Uh, no, I'm very, very excited to speak to you. I have been wanting to for a while. I have had the absolute pleasure of watching you in action in various shows live. And uh, Focus Today is exactly that, uh, a podcasting live. So, so, Tom, what was your kind of route to Wooden Overcoats, Victoriosity and all the other amazing things that, that folks can hear you in? How, how on earth did you get involved in podcasting? Oh, well, it's a funny story, really. I mean, it's, uh, I've been interested in podcasting since I was a teenager mm. because uh, when I was a kid, I started out in a sketch comedy group called Sad Faces, originally called Four Sad Faces, and then there weren't four of them oh, anymore. Uh, but yeah, so we, yes. it, was, it began just as me and, uh, and my two school friends, Toby and Jack, and we would record little sketches just in our bedrooms, you know, at our parents' houses mm. uh, when we were sort of 15. And what was nice was free software like Audacity, and yes. the low barrier of entry where all you had to do was just set up a microphone and speak into it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you didn't require a budget. That was really my beginning. And uh, it's a long, long way from there to Wooden Overcoats. But that was something that we, we always thought about coming back to was radio. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we, we were very lucky in that we our big break when we started with Sad Faces was um, uh, we entered a BBC competition and uh, we ended up losing but then being part of the Losers Showcase uh-huh. of this new comedy talent search contest, which was run by an amazing producer called Victoria Lloyd, mm-hmm. who's still working and is fantastic. And uh, she then helped us to pitch to have our own uh, sketch series on Radio 4 Extra, or 7, as it was then. This is how long ago this was. Really? The, the station had a different name. <laughs> and uh, so we, yeah, we, we wrote what was supposed to be for 15 minutes, and then it turned into two half hours for scheduling reasons. And, you know, we got to record it in the radio theatre, and it was a huge, incredible opportunity. Mm. And um, and then the financial uh, crash happened, and right. uh, <laughs> 4 Extra wasn't really commissioning new programmes anymore. Uh. I think they're doing a bit more now, but there was a dearth for a long time there. But anyway, so we were always interested in radio and I grew up listening to old Harry's Game and, and The Goon Show and The Hitchhiker's yes. Guide and all the classics mm-hmm. and absolutely adored them. Whatever tapes I could get from the library or CDs, uh, I was obsessed with it and I, and I adored the, the nature of comedy that you can't see but you can only hear, mm-hmm. I guess, if I had to sum it up. Mm-hmm. But so after that, you know, we, went to, we, we did Edinburgh for years and years. I dabbled in doing sort of my own live stand-up. I started writing dramatic stuff. Uh, mostly starting at, at university with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. All the bits which have kind of made up the things I try and make now, really. Mm. Kind of like building blocks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of different pieces, yeah. Mm. I'm, a, I'm a, a jack of all trades uh, and uh, master of a, a couple, maybe. <laughs> many, but, uh, many, many. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much for saying. But no, I, the, I've told the story so many times, but, uh, well, the full version is that in terms of wooden overcoats, podcasting was a, a decision we came to over time, whittling down our options. So mm. I met Felix Trench on the Royal Court Young Writers Programme, because we've both worked as, as theatrical writers as well as actors and, and other things. 
And um, we became friends very quickly and uh, stayed in touch, as I have with most of the rest of our group. We were very lucky. It was a lovely gang of people. And uh, one day we were just meeting up for a coffee and he said uh, he was thinking about doing a web series to sort of help advertise himself as a a comedy actor. And he said, you know, I'd like to do that with you. Mm -hmm. And my concern was that um, particularly he was interested in physical comedy and a sort of uh, almost may potentially a silent kind of slapstick thing. And I wow. thought, well, the trouble is, it's so hard to just get even the most basic camera set up together. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, so I was a little ambivalent, maybe. And I was, I thought perhaps that wasn't the right direction to go in. But the, the core idea he had was two rival undertakers. Uh-huh. And effectively, that, that idea got shelved because I was maybe a bit sort of scaredy about trying to raise the money and trying to make it good and you know, how much time and work that would entail. Right. Uh, and then Serial happened and everyone listened to Serial. <laughs> and then Felix said, you know, that two rival Undertaker's idea. What about a podcast? And mm-hmm. so we then spoke to, well, he spoke to his flatmate, David K. Barnes. <gasps> David is a, is a disciple, a student of uh, the classic British sitcom. So he went away and very quickly came up with the basic premise of how a series would work. Uh, and from then we just got the rest of the team together and uh, and it just uh, we made it happen which is is oh, phenomenal exciting. and uh, where it is now is is amazing still to think about given where we began just sort of idly chatting about oh it'd be nice to do our own sitcom show sure and uh, but that's how it happened but then from there and I'd always liked the medium of podcast like I I was um by that time I'd already listened to a bunch of Welcome to Night Vale and mm-hmm. uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour Comedy Bang Bang and the the immediacy with which you reach an audience and the fact that so much of the stuff that I love in comedy is very idiosyncratic and, and it feels like the kind of stuff you could only get if you left people in a room with some money and then didn't really bother them again. <laughs> and in conventional broadcasting now, there's so little money and there's everyone's so mm-hmm. frightened about what they're commissioning that it's hard to find that stuff. You know, most sitcoms you see on TV have sort of been workshopped mm-hmm. and focus groups to the point where they could kind of been created by anybody. Sure. Uh, and mm-hmm. it, that kind of singular creative voice is is hard to come by, except in podcasting. And I guess mm-hmm. YouTube as well, but podcasting, for whatever reason, was what connected with me. So I've always been had affection for it, and I've, I've been involved with, you know, consuming huge numbers of the bloody things for such a long time. <laughs> and this really felt like a, a good, high-quality thing for us to venture into doing. Yes. And thanks to all the talent we fortunately had access to, and uh, the just the fact that everyone was really behind it and everyone really wanted to make it happen and make it good mm. you know the, the the sheer force of will it's it turned out very well and that sort of was my introduction yeah. I, I think the quality of it though you know because of all your fantastic talents I mean you know it is the it very much feels like an ensemble although you know uh, there are obviously the the kind of main thrusting stars of the show but yeah I, I just I find it absolutely wonderful that also you know it is a worldwide accepted uh, bastion of comedic awesomeness I think uh, yeah, and yeah. people are still it's finding amazing. it and, and suddenly thinking oh this is great is there more <laughs> <laughs> but I mean how did the uh, live show element of it come about because um, that started quite early on didn't it? It did it did well the first series uh, we did entirely on favours you know we, we provided food and we, we covered people's travel we had to pay for a studio but the but it was all voluntary like everyone we asked we went well we can't really offer you any payment just yet because we've just started this thing and also this was at a time when producing dramatic podcasts was barely a thing that anybody did in this country. Yes. So there was no established rubric, no pay scale. I remember at the time, Spotlights, you know, the actors' uh, casting website, mm-hmm. 
just had absolutely no concept that there would be radio rates that weren't audiobooks or Radio 4. Yes. And so that's, you know, you're dealing in entirely untested waters. And also, we, we just didn't think we'd be able to get enough money together to pay everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially not with a following, you know, we were brand new, we were upstarts. So we had, um, I think, uh, I can't remember how much, but we had, we had a, a bit of expenses, you know, particularly for the studio hire. Mm. And... Um, and we had to make that back just because none of us could really afford to drop all that money on a on a vanity project. Mm-hmm. So we just went, well, okay, we'll do, here's one element of it. We'll see how this goes. But uh, we can at least hope to make some of the money back if we put on live performance versions of the scripts, mm-hmm. which was a bit of a, it, well, well, you know, it, we knew it would always be fun. But we had always intended this to be a show without a laugh track. Right. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in the podcast itself. And in fact, that was a conversation that was had quite early on, was like, are we going to do this with an audience or not? Mm-hmm. And so I I know David uh, K. Barnes was particularly, you know, he, he was very, he was really hoping that we would get the same live response uh, as we sure. do when you're listening to the podcast, because you know, as as everybody knows, I'm sure, who's, who's written anything for radio, it's it's your laughs, the way you laugh and the way you take in material is different in a live context from from a uh, from a, a private intimate listening context mm-hmm. you know you you might and if you're lucky as we found we were a laugh which makes you just go hmm and smile slightly on the tube with the right live audience atmosphere and and if the actors play it differently you know if they play up to the crowd essentially then you can get a big belly laugh out of a crowd all sat together yeah uh, where in a in a podcast you you know you wouldn't necessarily sometimes you do people say they do laugh out loud on public transport at wooden overcoats which is the <laughs> highest compliment absolutely but uh, but it's it's not always how you consume it and that's just the nature of uh, of people's individual experience mm-hmm. but uh, but no we 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 found that actually seeing the scripts performed even in the more dramatic moments did have a really a different impact for the viewing audience at the live shows mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't. It sort of wasn't better or worse than listening to it on the podcast. It was, you know, with the with the dramatized, fully produced podcast, you have the benefits of all the sound design. The mix has been beautifully mastered by our producers, John Wakefield and Andy Goddard. But in the live show, you do just have that immediacy of seeing the performers do the thing, mm-hmm. the same atmosphere you'd get in the radio theater, watching a Radio 4 recording. And uh, it, it was just... Uh, it was it was nice to discover that we had that tool in our belt, but that was essentially how it began was as a fundraising exercise, right. and the fact that it has uh, blossomed into a, a more full live experience that we're all now much more used to yeah. is is just a, a really really nice well way to get us all together and and to engage with our listeners and and have people come to see us and, and feel like they can connect with the show. Sure, uh, but also that's it's that's part of it. It's always been something where we we try and. Uh, bump up the fundraising for further episodes through putting on these shows and, and charging hopefully a reasonable amount for a ticket. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, I also think it's a wonderful kind of door opener for people to find, uh, you know, other fiction podcasts in as much as mm. they find Wooden Overcoats and they go, oh, this is amazing, I want more. And so, you know, that kind of access point for folks to then find it. I mean, you were recently at Udderbelly Festival in uh, the South Bank. And yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, that, again, is like a, a different kind of uh, set of audience that, you know, you've then opened up to, to, to podcasting, which I think is, is 
brilliant for the whole kind oh. of medium, you know. Um, and yeah, I mean, as as far as uh, kind of publicity and and all, all that, I mean, how much as a voice actor have you had to um, put yourself into kind of helping raise the profile of the Wooden Overcoat? Well, we all pitched in together at the beginning, and and there is a kind of a core team still who are working behind the scenes all the time, you mm. know, and uh, we split jobs up depending to ability. And um, it, it's there is also a sort of un, unspoken rule, I think, in any project which relies on sort of digital promotion that you just retweet stuff. Mm-hmm. You just do your best. You tell people what you're doing. You tell them it's out there. And the great thing about podcasts and anything in you know online streaming, you know, on-demand content is that you just go, this is out there. Yeah. And any person who sees that might go, oh, I'm bored right now. Sure, I'll give that a go. <laughs> but... Um, but no, in terms of pushing the show, it was again. It was we were all brand new to it, and um, there's a lot of work went on behind the scenes, just making sure that it got into the ears of uh, the right people, whether they're journalists or other talent who might be interested. It was a huge help to have uh, people like Andy Hamilton in series yes. one, and Julia Deakin, and other sort of luminaries from from TV and film comedy in this country, because mm. it just showed. That little stamp of approval from, you know, from the gatekeepers or well, they're not gatekeepers, are they? They're the sort of established talent. <laughs> yeah, no, and, I, I think uh, that's that was wonderful. a huge help. Mm. Mm. And, and, and yeah, I, you know, that, that again is another lure for, for, for going other people think, oh, OK, this person's in it. So maybe maybe it's worth looking at. <laughs> yeah, quite. But, but, you know, not every podcast, I guess, can afford that luxury, I suppose, in, in some mm. respects. I mean, as uh, a voice actor within that particular team you obviously you knew your crew then from the kind of germination of the idea just sort of sidestepping across to something like Victoriosity which yes. um, is a project you are principally a voice actor and I don't know if you've had yes. any other roles within it but um, but yeah no how- no just voice actor I was yeah. I was cast uh, after an audition which was it was a closed audition but it was um, essentially a read-through mm. where Jen and Chris Ugden the, the writers uh, hey. who are super <laughs> excellent people uh, they held a little read through. They brought in a few people they knew from live comedy and I think some of the drama stuff they'd done in Oxford. And uh, they offered me Fleet off the back of that, which was Fleet, the main, Inspector Fleet, the main character of Victor Rosti, was, um, yeah, and it was hugely flattering. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of the detective genres, obsessed yeah. with you know Raymond Chandler and, and similar when I was uh, a kid. And so a sort of rumpled detective who finds himself getting beaten up quite a lot and uh, making sort of withering noises is, is something I've wanted to play forever. And I was just so excited to get that. But that was... Um, but yeah, uh, it, uh, did you want me to talk more about how I got involved in Victoriosity? Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's again, it's it's through um, other areas. So uh, Jen and Chris Sugden are part of a sketch comedy and improv group called The Dead Secrets, mm-hmm. who are incredible. And um, we were in the same venue, but at a different time of day, at the Underbelly in Edinburgh yes. in 2015. And we just saw each other around flyering and... Um, I forget exactly how it happened, but I, I remember seeing Jen and Ida uh, Bergloff-Kenaway, mm-hmm. who's another member of the Dead Secrets. She oh, was uh, They were flying around a lot uh, in the sort of, if you know the Edinburgh Fringe, it's the sort of drippy tunnel that leads yeah. to the uh, the underbelly cowgate. Yes. And uh, we just sort of got chatting just because we were hanging around in the same place so often. And uh, I think this is sort of testament to the sort of nice people they are. I think they had just decided to come and see us, to see Sad Faces. Mm. And uh, they then said the next day, oh, we saw your show, we liked it. And I went, oh, 
And when someone does something as kind as that, you know, bothering to come and see you, yeah. then you go, oh, well, I'm going to pay that back. So I went to see them, loved it, uh, ended up uh, hanging out with them a bit uh, over drinks in Edinburgh and stuff. Mm-hmm. Long, miserable evenings while we waited to see what our pre-sales were like for the next day. Uh, classic, the classic Edinburgh Fringe oh, experience. Yeah. But we talked a bunch and um, we just sort of stayed in touch idly. And uh, they then were very excited by wooden overcoats. And mm-hmm. I think Jen and Chris had been nursing a similar kind of radio idea and were considering podcasting. Yeah. And they sent me some early drafts of the script to read, and I thought they were fantastic. And then when it came to actually casting it and putting it together, they just got back in touch. And they had a London-based, I think they did two days. They did like an Oxford-based read-through day and a London-based one, Mm -hmm. trying people out on different parts of the script. But I I, I absolutely adore Fleet. I I think Victoriosity is amazing. The great thing about it is that I don't... I'm not involved in any other part of the creative process with it. Mm. So I can say to people, Victoriosity is brilliant without feeling in any way egomaniacal because, yeah, I'm in it a lot, but I'm not the reason that it's amazing. <laughs> I do, like, it really yeah, is. The, you, whole, you the whole team is incredible. <laughs> well, I do. I do contribute, but it's, it's, it, I feel like I'm being led you know, by really capable hands uh, in the form of Jen and Chris writing the script. I mean, Dom, the producer as well, Nathan, the director are all fantastic. But what first got me interested in it is what still, you know, really drives the excellence of it, which is Chris and Jen's incredible writing. For sure. And yeah, Yeah, I absolutely adore it. Yeah, and and wonderful people as well, you know. I mean, I've connected with them on on occasion various events. And yeah, they're Mm. just just wonderful to chat to and and very inspiring folks. So if you haven't heard Victoriosity, what have you been doing? Go jump and find it now. Uh, Yeah, do it now. (laughs) Get it done. I mean, this is a a voice acting podcast, so um, Mm. kind of preparation for characters. Obviously, with those two, you kind of have one of those beautiful voices that have got wonderful comic timing you've got a natural oh, sense of like yeah no you have it and 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 so what kind of steps do you take if you've got that script uh, you've been cast what happens next for you how much preparation do you do before even getting together to record well, I'm not that studious of an actor, I think. I'm probably quite bad in that respect. You know, it's, I'm not the sort of person who has a script covered in notes, but I, I always want to know exactly the context of what I'm doing. I want to read it all through. Mm. I want to be familiar with the story arc because you need to be able to trace a character's... You know, it, I think there's sort of two sides to it. On the sort of truthfulness side of it, mm. when you want to really get the character... In both Wooden Overcoats and Victoriosity, what's interesting is that I knew the characters from before a recording was ever begun. Yes. If you know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. you know, with, with with Eric Chapman, it was very much that the part had been written for me because we'd already decided, you know, the, the genesis yeah, of the project amazing. was mm-hmm. Felix and I playing rivals. Mm-hmm. So it became very clear. And something I found that I do quite a lot, which applies to both of those parts, is... If it's a if it's a guest, I think this is kind of radio acting universal theory. But if it's a very a prominent a main part, mm-hmm. I don't do anything that deviates too terribly from my own voice. Partly because it's harder to maintain it across a long span of recording. Mm-hmm. You know, if if like if inspectively talk like this, then like by day three of recording, it's going to yeah. get quite tiring, and also you might end up. You know, it's hard to affect something as extreme as that for a long period of time. So essentially, Eric Chapman is just me, but more confident. (laughs) And Inspector Fleet is just me, but more depressed, you know. (laughs) And it's, uh, but but beyond that, you know, you, you don't want it just to be just the construction of the voice, but... 
but that does help to ground it you know and you find as i'm sure you do as as well sarah but when when you are acting something for radio you do change physically absolutely and you have just as in stage or film acting you have a sort of a a picture a mental picture of how you want to come across which you then almost subconsciously start to find yourself doing yes and uh it's it's that sort of rooting in a physical reality that keeps you truthful i think yeah but in terms of script preparation i I have always been such a kind of student of comedy. Like I grew up watching countless sketch and, and sitcom programs on television, being yes. absolutely obsessed with them, mm-hmm. rewatching them and rewatching them. Mm-hmm. And you you just start to pick up why something makes you laugh. Sure. And also in in both cases, with with all the writers on Wooden Overcoats and with Victoriosity, the writers have a a tremendous sense of how to communicate the joke via a written script. Mm-hmm. And if you're sensitive and you're reading it and you're paying attention to the way it's been presented to you, you will see what it is. Right. And I, I've had people say to me a lot, which is is very flattering, but that, that I have a good sense for that, uh, yes. picking up the joke off the page and, and just giving it that extra little something. For sure. But I think that it's, it's all in the writing. Mm-hmm. And as with any kind of acting, the best thing you can do is take the word of the writer as directly as you can and just combine that with your sense of who the character is, what they'd be feeling at that moment, and and that's how you pay off the joke mm. is, you know, Inspector Fleet sort of going, uh, you know, that's a that's a different uh, depending on what's come before, what's come after, where he is in his journey. And, you know, and in terms of phrasing, in terms of like sentence structure, it's it, you should trust the writing yeah. with it. You know, it's it's very rare that I'll, I'll ever go even after two seasons of Victoriosity and three of Wooden Overcoats. It's very rare that I'll ever go. I don't know if this line's quite right. You know, uh, at, right. at most, that, that'll that be if it's a typo. You know, mm-hmm. If there's a comma that clearly shouldn't be there, that's the only mm-hmm. time that'll really happen. Because you actually wrote, you also wrote an uh, episode of uh, Wooden Overcoats too, which I, I think is a fascinating thing also to be writing for something mm. when you're in the you know the heads of the other folks that oh, you've right. been acting opposite and I think there are you know quite a few people who uh, I'm, I'm meeting within podcast circles who do do the yeah. writing and also perform as well and how, how was that as an experience how on earth did you get kind of into all of that well, I've always written as well as performed. I mean, again, that's the live comedy background is you write your own material. Mm. Although perversely, one of the characters I have the greatest difficulty writing is Eric Chapman, I think probably <laughs> because I've got the sort of voice in the back of my head going, you're going to have to do this. And there's there's a part of me going, don't just give yourself all the best jokes. And another part of myself going, yeah, do give yourself some good stuff, though. <laughs> and it's sort of, it gives you a sort of institutional bias, which is, is difficult. But broadly, I've got more used to it effectively as the characters have grown and developed and I've, and I've been able to listen to more and more of Wooden Overcoats. Mm. He's just another one of these characters who I know I just happen to play him. Right. Uh, but uh-huh. what's amazing about that is, you know, by the time I wrote my episode of Wooden Overcoats, to go back a bit, when we were first putting together the writing team, David, he knew me and he knew my writing a bit. I'd already sort of directed uh, work for him, so he knew that I had a good sense of, of writing and working with the script. Mm-hmm. As I say, from before it was ever begun, the idea was for both me and Felix to be in it. Right. So that was already a, a given. And uh, I think I, I forget whether David asked me directly or whether I'd already expressed an interest. But, I, you know, I am a comedy writer and uh, writing sitcoms is something I've always sort of done and always wanted to do. Mm. And so in in me, David already had somebody who knew the story already, knew the setup of the series, that he felt understood the tone of what we were trying to do. Yeah. And uh, so he went, well, it seems like a shame not to <laughs> involve me in the writing as well. Mm. Uh, conversely, Felix, I think, 
Felix is a brilliant writer. I've directed his work as well. And he's he's fantastic and imaginative. And I think he would have written some amazing episodes of Wooden Overcoats. Yeah. But when we got started, he just made the executive decision that he wanted to be an actor right. uh, in this series. He wanted to be an actor first and foremost. He wanted to get receive scripts, work with them, and then perform them. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I had no qualms whatsoever about giving myself two jobs, basically. <laughs> I mean, talking of two jobs, I absolutely adored the episode where you both swapped roles. What? That was that was a wonderful little quirk of, of oh, fate. Um, I'm glad you've heard it. It's it's quite a niche <laughs> product, that one. <laughs> yes. Well, it was uh, one of the specials, wasn't it, on the support, the it was, uh, Patreon? It was a, hmm. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter incentive, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's the only way it's been released. I mm-hmm. we, we did a a physical release which was a usb key in the shape of a cassette tape which is a brilliant little awesome. device and love we, that yes. yeah we released a, a limited run of those just so people could have a physical copy if they really wanted to and um uh, it's a really cool product and so we added the we called it the switcheroo as yes. um as one of the uh, one of those extra episodes you'd get if you bought that and also an incentive on the uh, overcoats i think the season 2 kickstarter we so um uh, to give you the, the whole uh, tedious story, um, at the time I was producing and directing Felix's one-man play, Radio Man, which mm-hmm. is, I think, just a, a beautiful piece of work. And um, we had an incredible team. It was a really wonderful time. We had Anna Driftmeyer, the set designer on board, Marine Lewezek, who's a lighting designer. She's an absolute genius. She just right. graduated from a drama school in London. I can't remember which one. I think it was RADA. I think she'd done lighting at RADA. And Lovely. so we had this incredible team and we had Odin Hilmarsen uh, and uh, David Knight as musicians who performed music. live. Mm. And uh, so anyway, the, the whole uh, gimmick of the show was we had a live music mixer and uh, performer who'd be playing with loop pedals and different weird sort of homemade instruments to accompany mm. the storytelling live. And Felix mm. was the sole writer and performer and I uh, directed it. So mm. anyway, we did this whole um, enormously long, ill-advised four-week run at the Old Red Line Theatre. And um, and I was so, so proud of the work. But one thing we wanted to do was, because it was a one-man show, it was only really an hour long. Mm-hmm. And because you're paying, because it's fringe theatre, you're paying through the nose to hire the space. Yeah. We had all these extra slots afterwards. You know, the theatre would have just been dark from Tuesday to Saturday after we'd finished if we didn't right. put something on. Right. So we went, well, okay, well, we're finished by, what, 830 so let's just get a bunch of our friends in. And I booked a bunch of comedy previews for Edinburgh and uh, various other sort of guest appearances. And one thing we did was we did a weekly Wooden Overcoats live mm-hmm. uh, on the days of Radio Man. So we did, Felix would go up and be brilliant, same as always, blah, blah, blah. And then he, we'd come down, half an hour break, and then we'd put on uh, a Wooden Overcoats gig. And the thing was, we only had the first series finished. And we wanted to set these overcoats late, as we called them, apart a bit and we did a few different things we found some public domain pulp scripts and we read two episodes back to back we cast the cast of wooden overcoats in a couple of classic sort of old-timey radio uh detective or mystery stories which david had selected Hmm. and i don't think we've been able to ever release them because there's some issue with copyright but i know we were fine i know it's such a shame yeah no so we we wanted all these different little live performances to have just something different about them Mm. and there were four of them to fill up and so for one of them we went well it'd be fun if we just did some cast swapping and the obvious thing seemed for me and Felix to swap roles Mm. and it was really fun um 
there were a couple of things I remember about it. Firstly, there's a point when I did one of Rudyard's furious turns away from the microphone and banged my head on my own set for Radio Man, <laughs> which you can hear on the recording. And uh, I, and then the other thing was that I obviously I, I didn't have you know, outside eyes on myself playing Rudyard. But seeing Felix play Eric was so interesting because he, mm. uh, well, I liked, I hope that we both did, took our own takes on the characters. Uh, and yes. I just really had this feeling, I could sort of see the ways in which Felix's Chapman was different from mine. Mm. And one thing about it was, I just looked at him and I thought, he's far more unassuming. He was far <laughs> more sort of, oh, hi guys. Just everything was very sort of off the shoulder and relaxed in that kind of, oh, it's okay guys, don't worry about me. I'm just here <laughs> doing my thing. And I, he also just, I, the thing I immediately knew about the character was he plays tennis. Uh-huh. I just, I looked at Felix playing Chapman and went like, he is, he loves playing tennis. There was something mm. about the way he delivered it. I don't know what it was, but it was just like, this is a tennis playing Chapman, I thought. <laughs> Hooray for tennis players everywhere. I, I was Charles St. Giles Ladies singles champion for a short while. Mm. Ah, right, um, there you go. <laughs> don't know if that's a good or bad playing tennis thing. But yeah, I, I see, that's what I love. And I, I guess, you know, in a rehearsal process with a theatrical production or perhaps during a university times or whatever, there ha- will have been a time where you have swapped roles with someone else to just fathom, you know, how it feels from that person's perspective, all mm. those kind of wonderful things you can feed off and then uh, kind of feedback your reactions to 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 that character. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you don't see it obviously very often at all in, 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 in podcasting because uh, it's such precious time and hard to get everything recorded together. But I, yeah, I, exactly. I, think, I mean, did you find that a valuable experience? Would you suggest that other folks try and do that? I mean, you know, let's get you as Antigone next, you know. <laughs> That'd be great. I'd love that. Just across the square. Um, yeah, that's. I'm, I'm waiting in the wings for Just, my chance. I think it well, should I, be a jumble. Yeah, it'd be lovely. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's possible. I mean, we were experimenting with different ways of doing the live show. As you say, the show we did at Underbelly was a, a script that David put together, but we'd, we'd all been talking about the idea for a long time hmm. that it would be good to have something that had something new for you know established listeners, but yeah. also was a great jumping on point. Mm. Um, and mm. so playing with different formats is something we're trying to do a lot and, and if anything it's like you know Wooden Overcoats the tour show would probably look a lot like you know, if it ever happened would look like that Underbelly show where we had the first episode with a slightly higher stakes conclusion taken from episode two of uh-huh. series one and just more material in the middle so more chance to see the actors that you like doing their thing on stage but if you've never heard of this thing before you come and you'll get fully introduced to the whole idea mm. uh, so that's sort of that alongside live readings of recently released episodes, that's something I think we're, we're very keen to keep up. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it sort of depends on what the call is for the live show, really. Sure. Uh, but in terms of playing other people's parts, I think this sort of, because I've done, I've always sort of done a bit of everything in, in my career, such as it is so far. Uh-huh. Um, I would, I guess I'd call myself a, a writer and an actor and a comedian first, but I have directed, I've also done some behind the scenes producing work uh, for my solo the podcast I do by myself Crowley time I do yes. everything for that editing and everything fun you should and jump in and listen we'll put links to that on our, on our show oh yes please sure. yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that's that's the thing I, I'm keeping up with it's very hard to find the time <laughs> to do all of it because oh. it's you know as it's it's composing all the music just in garage band on on my computer and mm-hmm. uh, as well as recording all of the voices myself and writing all the material and editing it all together so mm. it's it's something which I, I think maybe this is a perverse sort of fifth columnist 
side of my personality because podcasting is very accessible and very popular as a medium particularly if you have a show where it's just you and your friends chatting to each other about a subject and you don't edit it down mm. at all you don't make any cuts you know it, it's it's a it's a medium where you can just go oh i'm going to start a podcast about uh football get three of your friends around and just chat to them in front of a microphone and then bang later that afternoon it's out there so by contrast i've decided to begin a podcast where uh all of the work is it's very work intensive and it's me doing all the work mm. i can only get one out sort of every two months uh, and uh, it's incredibly short, so <laughs> it's it's uh, almost well, intentionally it's the opposite no, of what most podcasts are like. It's full of good fun, anarchic uh, comedy. So yeah, if you haven't jumped on mm. it already, do. And, and oh, if please, anyone yes. wants to help Tom to 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 edit or do music or anything else, come to <laughs> see, show him your wares. But but no, I mean that 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 is hugely intensive, isn't it? And I think with the desire to to just be able to play um, mm. is wonderful. And podcasting, I think, is yeah, as an audio medium, is one of the best places to do it mm. <laughs> for yeah. for certain. Just sort of slightly revolving back round to, to the live side of things, though. If you could just talk us through, firstly, what a kind of live show uh, day might be like for either with Novacoats or uh, Victoriosity. Sure. A live show day, mm. I mean, usually... Well, let's take Wooden Overcoats as a case study. Usually the script that we're performing will be almost the same as the studio version that we've recorded uh, and uh, already, you know, usually months before. Mm. So we have already a working understanding of what is and isn't working in our performances for those scripts. Mm -hmm. Sometimes David will adapt the scripts to make them suit a live environment better because he's very diligent and, and puts too much work in. <laughs> but uh, it's but so you, it's good to just prepare the script, look over it, make sure you remember exactly what, what was really working in the studio about it. Mm. And uh, so you, that's in advance of the day. You've got the script, you, can, you take a look through it, see if there are any changes, remind yourself of exactly what felt right about your performance at the time mm. uh, and then on the day I mean very simply you know what wherever we've been it's much the same setup you know in most places you'll get maybe an, uh, an hour hour and a half to do your tech mm. so uh, and that's not very creative usually Shh. particularly because we have quite elaborate sound design uh, again by John Wakefield and Andy Goddard right. on the live performances you know they put so much work in and they uh, build uh, a whole sheet of cues mm. which uh, builds in sound design sound effects you know music cues everything you know just like in the podcast mm -hmm. or as close to it as possible so it's it's very important we use that sort of teching time to get that stuff set to make sure that we know when the cues are coming mm. that the that our cue words are firing off correctly and uh, so that's not a very creative thing sure. and this actually comes back to something I was going to talk about earlier which is that I think a key thing in both in the studio but also in the live show is is feeling the impulse in the moment uh -huh. so much I think as I say you know you can look at comedy and you can as I say I was a student of it as a younger person you can look at it and you can learn the rhythms of it and you can uh, understand how pausing after a word might be funny you know and mm. and try and apply that knowledge to a script and prepare it mm. but unless you are bouncing off the other people either in the studio or on stage it's going to fall so flat sure. like it's it's it just doesn't doesn't work and you know I, to be honest I can't think of any examples of it not working and I also wouldn't want to name and shame anybody but sometimes you can just sort of tell people are going by the numbers and it just doesn't ring true Interesting. so mm. The, there's sort of a while well, of course pre preparation is very very important and of course uh, you know doing character work knowing who your character is you know being in the right physical uh, 
uh, state, you know, performing it fully and having your, you know, mind fully embracing that character mm. and being familiar with the script, to some extent, you sort of have to throw that out. Right. You know, in, in the sense that, you know, in, so in every, any kind of creative craft, you need to learn the basics so that you can learn how to subvert them. <laughs> each part you do, each show you mm. do is a similar thing where you need to do that groundwork, build it up, build up your understanding of the script and the rhythms of it, build up your understanding of who you're playing. Uh, and also, I think, with comedy, build up your own comic sensibility. You know, do shows, uh, develop a taste in comedy, work out what your status mm-hmm. is, how you look on stage, how you sound, how your voice comes across. And then, with that grounding, uh, just forget about it and then do the script on stage. <laughs> Listen to the people around you right. and play it for what it really feels is right. And if you've done that preparatory mm. work, and if you are in the moment, and you're you're concentrating, you're you're, you know, you're acting the line on the line. You're not anticipating it, and you're not you know falling behind it. If you are in the moment on stage, and you've done all that prep, you will it will go right. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, yeah, I love watching live audio drama very much because not only for for that sort of sparring fun between people, and and just watching how much actual kind of eye contact connectivity there is and yeah. and the different physicalities that happen you know I, I find it really kind of like it, it's theatre of its own you know in, in a fascinating way um, and I also think that you know you really kind of respond warmly because of the warmth coming from all of the actors as well it seems like all the ones I've seen so far have had just this genuine beautiful atmosphere of, of sort of a warmth amongst the cast and um that's really nice to hear I mean it's it's because it's real mm. we, we love each other <laughs> we love performing together Aww. and uh yeah. and it's always a treat I mean especially because it's it's a while since we've released anything new mm-hmm. uh on the Overcoats podcast feed so there hasn't been as much to promote mm. uh, or fundraise for sure uh, how much contact or connectivity have you personally had with with audience who watch you, kind of, or, or have experienced you live as a? Oh well, it, it's 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 interesting because there's a lot of direct contact and a lot of indirect contact. Mm. So uh, there's there's a lot of uh, listener activity on on social media, and often it feels like it's it's none of our business really. <laughs> it feels like it's people celebrating the show or are engaging with it in their own way. But mm. then it's also really, and it's that's wonderful to see, and. Um, it's you know, fan art is especially lovely yeah. because you get to see all the different ways that people imagine these people and just the sheer amount of care that's gone into it. Mm. And often those will be directed at us. You know, they'll tag in Overcoats Wooden on Twitter or, or on Tumblr or whatever. Mm. And um, it's so nice to sort of be sent that as like an offering. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there are so many areas uh, of like sort of um, listener creations that... Um, that sort of feel like, oh, no, this is for them. This is the, something that they've created for themselves. Mm. Uh, to heighten their own enjoyment of this product. Mm-hmm. And what's really amazing about that is you've got, uh, you've inspired further creativity yeah. from something creative that you've made. Sure. If you see what I mean. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's a real sort of next level uh, thrill to see. Yes. But then also it's it's when you, uh, it's, it's when you just get little comments on Twitter. And again, sometimes these are directed at individual actors or at the, um, or at the show as a whole. Mm. And it's just wonderful. I mean, you know, it, it's it was a slow climb at the very beginning. We were a, a big fish in an almost unoccupied pond sure. as a British dramatic podcast. Yes. You know, I mean, there were a few other great shows already going, but in, especially in terms of doing a comedy, you know, a sitcom, 
uh, podcast, there was hardly any other competition. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's more it's more well populated, but even so, not not as much as it could be. Right. But uh, again, probably because it takes loads of time and effort and money. Mm. But <laughs> well, the core script, you know, is key, isn't it? And writers like yeah, Mr. Yeah, yeah. Barnes are, are sadly currently uh, few and far between, or too shy to share. Perhaps who knows? So well, perhaps, and also <laughs> it's it's a question of I mean. You know, People always talk about podcasting having a low barrier of entry. And uh, of course, that means that the the flip side of that is that someone who is confident or has money or just is really driven to do it may not be very good, but they'll still do make a show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then on the other hand, you do have to think, well, it has a low barrier of entry. But if you want to find actors who are going to do justice to your writing, if you can find studio space that's fit to record a dramatic scene, mm-hmm. you know, that the studio was the biggest obstacle we had when we started doing Overcoats. And we, we found this beautiful place, the, the art space in Brixton, mm-hmm. and uh, which you've, you've, we've recorded all three series with so far, you know. Right. And uh, it, and it was a huge, huge help. But but that's a music studio, like a mm. band recording studio yes. for you know guitar, mm. guitar and drums. And uh, and Andy and John, the producers, were just so innovative and, and smart. They just converted it into an audio drama studio using the kit that was available, rearranging the rooms to yeah. give it different sort of sound feels. You know, whether mm. whether the space was more closed or more open, you know, they they just understood how to make all that work. So it was their expertise that saved us a lot of money Great. and made it possible. And it's also sort of important to remember, like, not not everybody has a John and Andy. Sure. You, know, you might go, well, I'm going to record this because I think I can make it sound decent. I mean, I, I, I'm very proud of Crowley Time and how it sounds. I think I've picked enough up over the years that I can make it not sound rubbish. But sure. it's it's not a patch on the kind of stuff you get with Victoriosity or Wooden Overcoats, the, the innovation or the, the elaborateness of the sound design. And I think, you know, as you say, like... David is phenomenally talented. David is one of the greatest comedy writers I've ever met in my life. Absolutely. And it's, it's an ongoing privilege to get to perform his work and, and have him as a script editor as well, in, mm. in my case. Super, but yeah. um, and, and, you know, people like that are few and far between. Mm. I think what's, what's interesting is there's not much British comedy being made right now. No, which is Because so there's sad. no money. Mm. And so if you have a sitcom right. written by... A David K Barnes, you know, someone who's up and coming, who's ex- obviously extremely talented. You know, I, I'm, you know, I, I must also admit, you know, there, there are lots of shows I haven't seen come out yet, but the, and there's ones that yeah. have been hugely well spoken of. Wooden overcoats with a huge cast and an exotic sort of Channel Island setting. <laughs> that might actually be quite difficult to get away if you wanted to do it for telly. Sure. And so, on the one hand, you have a, it, it's very, very difficult to get anything commissioned, particularly if you're keen to retain your sort of creative vision. Mm. And uh, on the other hand, in podcasting, it's incredibly easy to retain your creative vision. But that means then you have no interference from any higher up. You've got no script editor. You've got no uh, and and you often have very few creative uh, or or rather professional industry uh, production contacts. Mm. So not everybody has a John Wakefield and Andy Goddard. Not everybody has a a guy as good at running a writer's room and as good at writing himself as David K. Barnes. Sure. So we, I mean, the real secret behind with Novacoats is just that we were very, very lucky to have the right talent in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. We had a singular vision for what we wanted to make and we had the people available to us who could help that happen yeah. and who understood what we were trying to do. Yeah. And so, yeah, on the one hand, yes, that David is singular and exceptional. On the other hand... It's still very, very difficult in conventional broadcasting or in independent, you know, YouTube or podcasting production mm. for someone like David K. Barnes to have their vision fulfilled. Sure. And I mean, God hoping, you know, we'll enter a, a time in, in society and politics sometime soon mm. where people are encouraged to 
to produce yes. the thing which is going to make millions of people happy. Yes. You know, and at the moment, it's just such a hard scrabble of people's own determination, grit, vision, and also for- good fortune, luck. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of where we are at the moment, really. I need to get some new flatmates in just to see if one of them might be Mr. Barnes. Not actually. Yes, exactly. Not just, actually, David, because he obviously lives where he lives. But, <laughs> he's but, very, know. very busy. <laughs> you know, you can find another one. There's plenty out there. There's plenty of people who could be. There's lots of people who could be David K. Barnes. Yeah. Well, this is it. And there are writing opportunities. I know me and Fiona Threll are doing a, a short, uh, exciting launch of something very shortly, which is asking oh, for fantastic. original content. And I think it's Great. about people taking a risk to just jump in and throw your yeah, hat in the mm. ring at those kind of things. And, and although, you know, we, we're not gatekeepers at all, but we would like to just to, to, to celebrate and push forward and, and give opportunities for things and we're not flush yeah. with money we are independent no, producers yeah, yeah. ourselves we, you know I essentially I do just want to act but I keep finding myself doing other things um, <laughs> I was I went through a phase like that myself I was producing theatre and, and thinking yes. why am I producing theatre I'm an actor yes. and a writer oh I did outdoor you know. theatre last year I directed a yeah, yeah, production yeah. I yes I, I'm writing so many other things and trying to to produce some other bits and yeah but, but I that's just all fantastic as well I mean it's mm. it's so much you know acting is is almost no longer a career path that exists unless you're <laughs> enorm- enormously fortunate and you end up in Star Wars you know it, you, uh, yeah. if you are somebody who's just trying to be a jobbing professional in this business you do end up becoming all kinds of different things you're, you're your own social media manager yeah. you're a video editor a podcast editor you're a, a, a PR person oh, gosh. you're a writer you're your own director and producer so often and it's like it is it's it's incredibly you've got to be a polymath to really keep For yourself sure. moving forward and, and your ambition is is enormously inspiring and admirable uh-huh. and also as you say you are not a, an enormous multinational corporation with bags of money to throw around and yet you are still interested in developing and seeking out new talent mm-hmm. and I just sort of wish that a few more enormously wealthy institutions like all the major theatres in this country mm-hmm. the channels the production companies just had that little bit more of a sense that you know what guys if you keep hiring the same people over and over again one day they will die and you will run out of <laughs> programs so you really need to be seeking out just a few younger or even just yes. newer voices just to kind of keep the the plurality of the what you're putting out there a hundred percent yeah i think there's in the advent of people producing their own work independently and for anybody starting out i mean the best advice is make your own stuff whether it's in theater sure. or, or video uh, or, or audio you know in podcasting make make mm. your own thing because if you're waiting around for someone else to give you the opportunity or to give you uh, the commission it, it's it's not going to happen well it may but you know that's in the rare exception but if you can mm. make something that shows you off well and get it out there it's it's infinitely more better than having a script that you've written sitting in a drawer because you're waiting for the right person to come along and say hey what do you got kid it's just yes. it's it's very <laughs> unlikely and i don't know what route you go around to do that but anyway you make your own thing so we have this advent of especially young people gravitating towards uh youtubing and uh, other independent sort of video series web series uh, mm. Instagram videos even you know people have a huge fans of people who make videos on Instagram and, and Twitter and mm. also uh, podcasting but meanwhile what's the best way to be discovered to have a chance at maybe someday getting through the door jamming your foot in the door and making your own thing it is to make mm. your own thing now what can I make now can I make it how can I make it get it out there and start drawing people towards you because it's far better to yeah. have something that you've made than something that you hope to one day make. Absolutely. I, I love that. What an impassioned speech, I think. Um, <laughs> I think. I've been doing a lot of pitching recently. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I agree. But also, like, don't be afraid to, uh, 
try and gather a team if you if you are just you. Mm. I think oh, my absolutely my that's that's crucial. Annoyance yeah. is that like a lot of people I feel for whatever reasons are insular and and I think you know there are mm. c- groups like the Audio Drama Hub on on Facebook. There are various mm. Discord channels now, which for audio fiction as a whole and 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 podcasting as a whole have sprung up. Uh, writing groups you know there's so many different places to find people to collaborate with so I I would hugely suggest that if if this is you and you are that actor who also wants to write and do and make and do your own Mm. stuff don't be afraid to like put questions out like does anyone want to join me in this adventure I've done this so far this is what I'd love to work on I need these kind of people let's play kind of thing because I I mean yeah that's another side of what's appealing about the sort of independent podcasting and and creative circuit mm. is you've got a crowdsourcing of talent and you've also got a crowdsourcing of received wisdom and inspiration. Mm. So just as a as a final thing, as regards to voice acting, if there was somebody who was perhaps just starting out or able to, you know, get their foot in the door to, to do some voice acting, what kind of advice would you give them? In, in terms of voice acting, I would say probably the best thing you can do is look around for where the creative people are near you and whether you do do a sort of writing group if you want to try and improve that way or if you're just involved with online communities or if you're involved uh, with any theatrical productions or, or little creative networks of people in your local area in, in, in the out there in mm. the real world. Mm. Find the people that get who you are and who you like. Mm. You know, famously, Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer, <sighs> who've been funny forever. Yes. You know, they've never <laughs> gone off the boil. Mm. They famously say it's, the reason is they just make each other laugh. Yeah, They've always made each other laugh. When they first met up to the present day, whenever they get together, they make each other laugh and they enjoy each other's company because they both have the same sense of humour. And that's really all there is to it. You find the people who share your creative sensibility, which is a very grand way of putting it. But if you together can 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 bring in the people that you need to help you make your vision a reality, then I think it was Jordan Peele said this about the film Get Out. He said mm. he wanted to make the best film, the film he most wanted to see that didn't exist yet. Yes. And yeah. that's a really good guiding principle for anything. Get the get the people around you who you know that you can trust and who you love being around and who you know want to make the same things as you mm. and go out there and make the thing you most want to see that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Amazing. Beautiful. So get to it, folks. In fact, stop this podcast and go now. No, don't go yet. Yeah, don't go out now. Go, go. <laughs> no, Tom, I want to thank you hugely for your time today. I think it's oh, absolutely thank you for speaking brilliant to, me. It's been wonderful. To, to fathom, you know, so many aspects. You've got so many brilliant, brilliant talents. And I think, you know, it, oh, there's so you. many more things that I'm certain that we will enjoy that you do. So, so yeah, I can't wait to fathom what that is. Uh, if you haven't jumped on Crowley Time, do. <laughs> so kind of you. Go, thank f- you. Share it, find it, share it and, and, and subscribe, rate, review uh, but yeah, also yes, you yes. know, I, we will look out for it with, with excitement for for any other of your new adventures, Tom. So, so yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, it's... the best thing you can do, I think, is if you follow me on Twitter at a Tom Crowley or Atom Crowley, A T O M C R O W L E Y. Uh, that's the best place to find news of anything I'm doing. Uh, and yeah, there's a bunch of goodies. There. Oh, and my website is crowleytom.com. Brilliant. Well, there you go. You know where to look. So so jump on and uh, yeah, support and, and just throw money at all these wonderful creatives. And uh, and uh, obviously... Mm, and support all... Sarah Golding as well. Well, why not? She's all right, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, thank you. And, and good luck with your, your creative endeavours. It's very... Uh, thank you so much. Same to you. The future's bright. Take care. Bye-bye. Speak soon. Cheers.